Welcome to episode 24 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, we'll take a peek at the magical time between peak season and off-peak season. On the Summit Gear Review, you'll meet the short, powerful cousin of the Jetboil Flash Stove. Next, if you've always wanted to try Canadian cuisine, but were afraid to ask, we'll give you the perfect recipe on the Backpack Hack of the Week. On the Backpackers Q&A, Mike from Utah has some questions about packs for all ages. Then we'll wrap up the show with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, writer and outspoken man with a beard, Edward Abbey. All this, and that's about it, today on The First 40 Miles. Well, if you're a backpacker, there's a good chance you subscribe to Backpacker Magazine. And it's so inspiring, especially uh, during the off-season when you're not getting out much and you get to peruse through the pages and look at the beautiful photos and read the stories of, of what people are doing. So it's pretty cool. So we recently got the gear issue, and this is where they review all of the gear that they've been testing for the last year. Yeah, this comes out every April, and it's just packed with gear reviews. Well, I was looking at the tents section, and, uh, you know, to give a little background, years ago, what, 10 years ago, we bought a tent at Shopco that uh, actually fit our entire family at the time. Uh, And then over the years, it kind of became the tent for the two of us, even though it was definitely bigger than a two-person tent. And it was, what, 50 bucks or so? Really cheap. Um, And it actually worked pretty well. But we probably had a lot of weight in that tent. I mean, it was, uh, I'm guessing, eight pounds. I don't know. And so when we were preparing for uh, our week-long trip last fall, uh, we decided it was time to get a new tent. And we went with the REI Passage 2 tent. So that's a two-person tent, a door on each side, a vestibule on each side to stow your gear under, and it's a little under five pounds. And we've been really pleased with it. And of course, compared to our old tent, we feel like it's really light. And so when it came time to get new tents for the kids, we actually bought two more REI Passage 2 tents. So we've got three of them now to uh, cover our family of six. Well, I was looking through the tents being reviewed in the April 2015 gear review issue of Backpacker magazine. Uh, They didn't review the REI Passage 2. Maybe it's a little heavy for their list. I don't know. Uh, They did review the REI Half Dome, which uh, is also a two-person tent and is a few ounces lighter at about four and a half pounds. Well, here's the thing. We paid $150 for the Passage 2, and the Half Dome is $200. So for an extra $50, you shave off about five ounces of weight and uh, maybe pretty similar functionality, it seems like to me. Well, if you look at all the other tents, you really start to see this uh, price and weight trade-off. You know, there's lots of good gear out there where the functionality is there, and then you're just playing with the other two, price and weight. In fact, we talked about this back in episode five, that uh, you can pick any two, price, weight, and durability or, or functionality or features. 
as I looked through this uh, gear review issue and looked at various tents, yeah, you could just kind of make your choice between price and weight. And so for $150, you get the REI Passage 2 tent. It's a little under five pounds. And then you just keep adding price if you want to reduce weight. So for example, if you want to pay $400, you can get the Marmot Force 2P, which is two pounds, 15 ounces. So you've almost cut the weight in half by more than doubling the price. And functionality may be similar between the two. I mean, they're both, I think they're both good quality tents. So just take your pick. How much do you want to spend to shave off that weight? I have to say we're really happy with our REI Passage 2 tents. And I love the vestibules, just that extra space on the outside of your tent where you can stow your stuff and uh, keep it out of the tent. Yeah, they've been great. And so, you know, if we become super rich someday, then maybe we'll say, yeah, we'll get rid of those tents. We'll pay $400 per tent and shave it down to two and a half pounds. Super rich. We just need to stop <laughs> eating. That's it. Oh, yeah. It's just a monthly food Wait budget. Wait a minute. We could move out of our house and just live in the tents. Oh, that would save lots of money. Oh, my goodness. Why didn't we think of that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk to the kids about that. Well, we had a great time on our spring break trip a few weeks ago, and we were traveling in what's called the shoulder season. And so for today's top five list, we want to give you the top five shoulder season must-haves. Now, if you're not familiar with the term shoulder season, it is the magical time between peak and off-peak seasons. Peak season means that the trails can be heavily used. Sometimes you'll see lots of cars parked in the parking area at a trailhead. You'll just see a lot more people out on the trails. Off-peak season would be in the wintertime when maybe it requires a little extra equipment or bravery to get out on the trail. But the shoulder seasons are those times in the spring and in the fall where maybe it's a little bit cooler, a little bit more damp. The weather is maybe a little more temperamental, but you are guaranteed to see things that the mono season backpackers never see. So in order for you to have a great experience in the shoulder season, you may need to come with an extra level of preparation. Hence our top five list this week. The top five shoulder season must-haves. And number one is a plan B. We kind of loosely planned our Redwoods trip and we knew that we were gonna hit some rough weather. And the first night of our Redwood trip, we were right. It poured and poured and we had high winds and our plan B actually turned into plan C and we ended up staying in a motel. And it's tough finding a motel last minute for a family of six when you all want to stay in the same room. So luckily there was one motel manager who took pity on us and allowed us to fudge the occupancy limits and stuff all six of us in a motel room. It definitely wasn't plan A, which was all of us in tents, and it wasn't even plan B, which was to have the kids sleep in the van and Heather and I would sleep in a tent in a, in a forest service campground. So the idea behind plan B is just to remain flexible. And even if plan B turns into a plan C or a plan D, or you just keep going down the alphabet, you just need to be flexible during the shoulder seasons because the weather is so temperamental and you may have other factors too, such as mudslides taking out a campground or just other things that you may not even be able to plan for. 
And if we had really stuck to plan A and gone to a Forest Service campground and pitched all of the tents, we would have been completely soaked that night. And the next day, you know, we probably would have spent the whole day in a laundromat in Crescent City, drying everything out. Well, the number two shoulder season must have is a wool base layer. On our recent trip to the Redwoods, I used the Wool Power Survival Kit, which is the same weight as my base layer that I left at home, but it has a special weave with loops to trap heat. And I loved that. It was great. It was lightweight, plus it was warm. So the Wool Power Survival Kit came with a long sleeve top, a full length bottom, and a short tube. It was a neck gaiter, and it was made of the same material as the top and the bottom. It had that really cool weave inside of it with the loops. I actually used that as a hat instead of a neck gaiter because I had my wool buff with me for my neck. That was really great. So if you want to check that out, we'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, the addition of a base layer is just wonderful. You know, it turns a 50 degree day into a comfortable day, just like having a 70 degree day without a base layer on. And so you automatically gain like that 20 degrees or more of additional comfortable warmth. It's lightweight, covers your whole body. And so automatically, I mean, you're in the shoulder season and now it it almost feels like summer if you dress right. The wool base layer is something that is a must have for shoulder season, but it's also a must have for all the other seasons too. But you will notice such a difference if you bring your wool base layer on a shoulder season trip. The trip wouldn't be enjoyable without it. Yeah, I think the difference is uh, during the summertime, you might just put on the base layer at night and and take it off as it starts to warm up in the morning. And during the shoulder season, you might just keep that base layer on 24-7. The number three shoulder season must have is fire redundancy. It's not going to be enough to bring just one book of matches. If it gets cold fast, or if all the tinder and kindling around you is soaked, then you're going to want to have a surefire way to get warm. And this includes bringing something other than just a paper book of matches. So one of the things that we really had fun with on this trip was something called the lightning strike. And the lightning strike is a ferro rod that's encased in an aluminum tube. And then at the top of the aluminum tube, you can put tinder. So you can put their special tinder, which is specially formulated for severe weather. And it takes a strike like nothing else I've ever seen and burns really well. So that gives you enough time to put some sticks on, get some kindling on there, and really get a roaring fire, even if you've started out with kind of damp, squishy wood. Okay, so you said the lightning strike is a ferro rod. This is what people typically think of as flint and steel. It's just that technically speaking, it's something other than flint. This is like a super-powered flint and steel striker. And it's definitely worth checking out. It's incredible. It directs all the spark to your tinder. Another thing you'll want to include with your fire redundancy is a product called wet fire. The great thing about wet fire is you don't have to use the entire cube. So it comes individually packaged, but to use it, all you have to do is shave off a little bit. Even if it's raining, it'll still catch fire. Hence the name wet fire. Pretty incredible stuff. (laughs) Great. I I feel like we've come a long way in the fire making department uh, just over the last few months because we had some really wet conditions during our spring trip to the Redwoods and we got it figured out. We had uh, not only 
you know, the strikers to, to, to make the sparks and the matches as well as a backup. But we also had the fire starters that would burn for several minutes to give us enough time to get some tinder dried out and caught on fire and, and slowly build that fire. Last fall around Thanksgiving, when we took that family trip, it was also very wet and our fire starting attempts completely failed. I think the problem was we didn't have what we needed in terms of fire starters. So we were able to light a match or use a lighter. Yeah, no problem. Uh, get a little bit of a fire going. And then it would go out before we could really get enough tinder dried out to where it would catch fire. I know. I used to think fire starters were for sissies, people who didn't know how to start a fire or, you know, the, the triangle of fire, who didn't understand the basic concepts. But it's not. Fire starters really do help you in those first few critical minutes of fire building. Yeah, if it's completely dry summer, then sure, a match and a few twigs and you're on your way but not when it's wet. Yeah, not in the shoulder seasons. You're gonna need some fire redundancy. So the wet fire or the, the severe weather tinder that comes with the lightning strike, or in our last episode, we did a classic cotton ball and petroleum jelly fire starter. Those work also. The number four shoulder season must have is extra easy to eat food. Now when it's cold and wet and windy, Everything takes a little bit longer. Putting up your tent takes longer. Even just preparing a meal can sometimes be too much. So it's really comforting to have just like a bag of food that you can consume without having to get out all your other gear. So just to open a package, just a granola bar, something that's simple and high calorie that you can eat, and then make sure that you drink some water along with that. Also, the lower temperatures in the shoulder seasons mean that your body needs to generate more heat. So uh, your body is just going to burn more calories while you're out there. And that's another reason to have plenty of extra food that's easy to grab and takes no time to prepare. And the number five shoulder season must have is a camera. While you're out in the shoulder season, you're guaranteed to see things that no one else will see. Like on our Redwoods trip on Wednesday afternoon when I took off for a little day hike, all of a sudden I saw a pheasant come running down the trail and it, and it ran off ahead of me and off to the side of the trail somewhere. Yeah, well, I was on the trail with our 10-year-old. He happened to find a little frog and he caught it and we had fun just watching it hop and he held it for a little while. We took a picture of it and it was very cute. And the variety of weather that you get during the shoulder season can lead to some really interesting shots with the camera. On that same trip, I've got some shots that look like summer, just a sunbathed meadow. And then I've got this one shot in the evening when a little bit of fog rolled in and it just looked so serene with uh, two of our tents under these huge spruce trees with this kind of fog through the forest. An hour later, the fog was gone. It was just one of those moments. One of the things that we had a lot of fun with on this trip was a product called Cam Kicks, and it's a clip-on camera lens for your phone so that you can have wide angle, you can have macro, so you can take those really up-close cool pictures, and it has fisheye, great for taking pictures of fish. 
It's really... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's why it's called fisheye. <laughs> really great. It's just super wide angle. It gets the whole picture, kind of makes it curved. Yeah. Anyway, it just clips on to your smartphone. So simple to use. So we had a lot of fun with that. And we took a picture of the frog that our 10-year-old caught with this little Cam Kicks clip-on camera lens. So there's our top five shoulder season must-haves. Uh, the most important being that you have a plan B, but also bring that warm base layer, a surefire way to start a fire, easy to prepare extra food, and your camera for those wonderful fleeting moments that the weather will bring to you. On episode 13, we reviewed the Jetboil Flash stove and just absolutely loved it. Well, recently, Heather received the new Jetboil Minimo stove. Just came out this year, so we wanted to share our experience with the Jetboil Minimo and kind of explain how it's different from the Jetboil Flash and, and you know, what might make it better or worse, depending you know, on what your goals are and what you're doing. The Jetboil Minimo still has the freakishly fast boiling power that is pretty much standard for all Jetboil stoves. All of the heat really is directed to the bottom of the pot. So this is really targeted toward people who want to cook on the trail, not necessarily just boil water. So as we tested this out, we actually did some cooking on the trail, which was a lot of fun. You don't always get a chance to cook, but we had a down day where we just stayed in camp and we had a chance to make some delicious bread on the Jetboil Minimo. And that's actually going to be our backpack hack of the week today. So like Josh said, it's very similar to the Jetboil Flash. The Jetboil Minimo is squattier version of the flash. It's a little bit shorter and a little bit wider. So this also accommodates a spoon better so you're not digging down into this tall pot. It's a little bit easier to eat food straight out of the Jetboil Minimo. It does have a simmer feature which is great for actually cooking on the trail and the Jetboil Flash doesn't have that. The Minimo is great if you want to be doing some simmering, cooking things for a longer period of time but at a lower temperature. It actually doesn't have the same boil indicator strip that the flash has, but that's not a necessity on the Minimo because you're using it for maybe something other than just boiling water. The lid has a pour spout, which I thought was really handy because you could boil water and then just pour it out. We also learned that you don't have to unscrew the fuel canister after you boil the water. So a lot of times I would just boil the water, leave the fuel canister on, and then pour it out into everyone's individual bowl with the fuel canister still attached on. When you're finished, you just unscrew it and put it away, but you don't have to take it off right after you're done boiling the water. So because of our family size, I knew that I would need to have a larger capacity pan than what the Minimo came with. So what I did was I purchased a Jetboil pot support um, I actually bought it at Cabela's for $12, but REI's site has it for $9, so <laughs> oops. <laughs> anyway, it's roughly $10, and what that allows you to do is use another pot besides the pot that the Jetboil Minimo comes with. The pot that we used was actually the lid that came with our Lighter One Bear Canister, and so we used that to cook some of our meals, and that was perfect. That was a really great size for our family. 
In terms of mass, the Jetboil Minimo is uh, it's five by six inches. It's squattier, so shorter and wider than the Jetboil Flash. And it's uh, just under 15 ounces, not including the fuel canister. A uh, fuel canister typically weighs seven ounces, so that brings you up to just under 22 ounces total with the fuel. Now comparing this to the Jetboil Flash, it's, it's really equivalent. The Jetboil Flash is also a 15 ounce stove, uh, not counting the fuel canister. When we reviewed the Jetboil Flash, Josh talked about keeping the igniter on the stove protected because that's what creates the spark which ignites the fuel that comes out. So you'll always want to keep that igniter protected. The Jetboil Minimo has a way for you to store the fuel and the stove so that the fuel protects that igniter. Um, you store it sideways in the pot, which is a little bit different than the flash where you store it um, vertically, I yeah. guess. You don't store it sideways. So there is a way to fit the stove and the fuel in the pot. However, you can't fit other things in there. I tried to fit the uh, that little Jetboil pot support in there. It didn't fit, so you'll have to find another place in your pack for that. We tried lots of different ways to try to get that pot support in there. And what was frustrating was is that it didn't fit by only a tiny bit. With the Jetboil Flash, there was plenty of room to slide everything in there, including that extra pot support. For an investment, you're going to spend about $130 for the Jetboil Minimo, which is about $30 more than the Jetboil Flash. And you're really paying for the ability to simmer. So if you are a trail chef and you want to spend $30 more, which is about the price of a really nice meal in a really nice restaurant, then this is the stove for you. So, you know, for me, I don't know if the Minimo really uh, comes out on top compared to the Jetboil Flash. For me, you know, it lacks that boil indicator strip, which I really liked on the Flash. And then the fact that I can't get the, uh, the extra pot support packed into it is kind of a downside for me as well. But on the other hand, if you want the ability to simmer and yet you still want those great quick boil times for water, uh, then the Minimo is the way to go. They're going to hire you for their ad campaign manager. The Minimo is the way to go? Yeah. All yeah, right. That's, that's great. <laughs> well, we use the Jetboil Minimo to make our backpack hack of the week, which you will love. This week's backpack hack of the week is Canadian Bannock. Bannock is a type of bread. It's kind of like a biscuit, but you cook it on both sides in a pan. And it's so easy and it's so high in calories and it is amazing on the trail. We had so much fun eating this and so much fun making it. So you're gonna need one cup of flour, one and a half teaspoons of baking powder, two tablespoons of Neato whole milk powder, one fourth teaspoon of salt, and one fourth cup of coconut oil. You'll put all the ingredients into a blender and blend it until it's powdery. Store it in a zip top sandwich sized bag. And when you're ready to make the Canadian Bannock, you're going to add roughly a fourth cup to a half cup of water. So if you can measure exactly a third cup of water, that's where I had the most success. You just want it to be kind of like a little bit stickier than Play-Doh. And after you've added the water into the plastic bag, you can either mix it up with a spoon or you can just kind of squish it and squeeze it with your hands with the bag zipped up. You're going to want to heat up your pan and divide the dough into two to four pieces. 
and then you'll want to cook for five minutes on medium heat and then flip them. And then you want to cook it for another five minutes on the other side and serve with jam or honey. And because of the high fat content in this recipe, you really don't need to grease the pan. So that makes it kind of nice. This recipe comes in at 1,005 calories for the whole pan of bannock. That's a lot. That's cool. I could eat the whole pan of bannock. Me too. <laughs> That's like great. an entire meal. <laughs> it was a hit. <laughs> oh, and one little warning. It's not beautiful bread, but it's delicious. So... <laughs> Just don't be expecting pretty bread. So if you want to make Canadian bannock, uh, grab the show notes for this episode. It's episode 24. So you can just go to thefirst40miles.com slash 024, and you'll see the recipe with the ingredient list and the instructions. Today for the Backpackers Q&A, we have a question from Mike in Utah. He said, curious about the backpacks for the smaller ones. What did you decide to go with and how much weight are they packing? We have four kids. Our youngest is a first grader, and he was carrying a kind of large-ish day pack. Uh, inside of that, he had his sleeping bag, his pad strapped onto the outside, his clothing, water, and a few essentials, and came in at about 12 pounds. The other three kids uh, all had packs that were probably in the 45-liter range, which was enough uh, for each of those kids to carry all their own gear, including their share of a tent. And so each of them came in around 20 pounds each. So we have a son who is almost 13 years old. He is active in scouting. And I'm really looking at these Gregory Wander youth packs. And the thing that's really attractive about these is that they fit ages 10 through 18, which is basically the Cub Scout and the Boy Scout years. So they have a Wander 50 and a Wander 70. And they're both a little over three pounds. And Gregory is just a brand that you can't uh, can't argue with. It's been around for a long time and it's great quality. It's nice that it's highly adjustable so it can go with him, you know, during all those growing up years. Right. We can get a lot of mileage out of it. Well, if you went to the Utah Arches in 1956 or 1957, you may have met Edward Abbey. He worked as a seasonal ranger for the United States National Park Service at the Arches National Monument, which is now a national park. He just sounds like one of those characters like Pico's Bill or Paul Bunyan. He's just one of those Larger than life, kind of. Kind of a legendary guy. A yeah. legendary guy, maybe a little bit uh, rebellious, got that streak in him, and he has a beard, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll leave you today with trail wisdom from our friend Edward Abbey. May your trails be crooked, winding, lonesome, dangerous, leading to the most amazing view. May your mountains rise into and above the clouds. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this podcast, follow us on Facebook or review us on iTunes. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. We also learned that you don't have to unscrew. Th- 
<laughs> Sorry. We, <laughs> I'm making up words all the time. <laughs> In school. <laughs> so the pot that comes with the lighter one bear canister is the lid for the canister, and it comes with a pot lid. That all didn't make sense, but... <laughs>